Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to the Backpack Theory Podcast, where we unpack past experiences to help define a better future. And today, I have a guest on that I'm not really sure how we met, uh, to be completely honest, somewhere in the internet world, but uh, we are going to be unpacking functional medicine and the effects on your mental health. So, Kelsey Kaler is actually, I mean, dude, so I'm going to read through this real quick because it's kind of ridiculous. So she's got a bachelor's in dietetics, exercise science, and then also a master's in functional medicine. She started her own company in 2019 called ProFit High Performance Medicine. She has been on Dr. Phil talking about things. She has a lot of high-level athletes and personalities that come to her in relation to functional medicine. So I could keep on going on about your accolades, but Kelsey, welcome and thank you for joining the podcast today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So let's jump right into it real quick. So when people hear functional medicine, like this is a topic I hear all the time. Me personally, I've tried things like ozone therapy in relation to like autoimmune deficiencies. I've got a really good friend that's done that. You know, an alternative medicine is something that a lot of people are looking into now. So why don't you take a second and kind of tell us what you do, you know, right now and, you know, just kind of tell us what your definition of functional medicine is. Yeah, of course. So functional medicine, what we're really trying to do is look for the root cause of disease of different conditions. So like if you're struggling to lose weight or you're struggling with depression, anxiety or any kind of health condition, we're trying to figure out the why and not just prescribing a medication or telling you you need a, a device or surgery or something of that regard, we're looking more for like, okay, well, why did this happen in the first place? What condition is this in the first place? And how can we resolve it naturally as much as we can first? So like dietary adjustments, lifestyle adjustments, exercise, supplementation. And then part of what we do at ProFit too is bioidentical hormones. So we do have a doctor on staff that does do things like hormone replacement for like low testosterone or women that are going through menopause too. But that's a short version. So basically you are literally just practicing practical medicine, medicine. Now, now practical medicine, this is not, but this is, I know this is a hot like topic right now. Like everybody wants to grow their own kombucha and everybody wants to like grow their, have their own chickens out back. And, but this is not like a, like a, like a, like a recent, like epiphany. This is something that has been practiced for a long time, correct? Yeah. And what we do is we use like more functional labs. So we do a lot of blood testing, but it's custom. And we also use different reference ranges in terms of like what's actually optimal as opposed to like what's normal for the average American. Um, we do like gut testing, we do DNA, we do organic acids. So we're really looking at a lot more variables and then we're piecing it together into a story that shows like, okay, well, if this person has high inflammation, high levels of high blood sugar variations, low levels of certain vitamins, those are all things that are going to lead to disease later on in life. And then how can we piece together their diet, their lifestyle, their exercise routine, reducing their stress, helping with their recovery to then in turn, like alleviate some of these issues that are going on. Dude, that's so cool. I actually, so it's, it's, longevity of life, right? Like I, I, I did a podcast the other day and it was just about time. And I think it's fascinating to me. Like I, I didn't know the average lifespan in the United States is 76 years, but if you look at Japan, the average lifestyle is actually 86 years. So they almost get 10 years more of life, but they have a much more plant-based diet. They don't have nearly as much modern medicine. Is that a study you're familiar with? Yeah. And a lot of that research isn't really accurate in terms of like the blue zones and stuff like that. But really what matters is like, our our diet in america is very different 
our community access to like friends and family is very different. Our stress levels are much higher. Our inflammation is much higher. You know, they're following a lot of what's called the China study in terms of like the longevity stuff. And a lot of that's been disproven as not the greatest science. Um, but in terms of longevity, like there's a lot we are learning. And like one of my friends that has a company actually that's doing DNA methylation where we can actually see like your chronological age versus your biological age. And a lot of that boils down to like inflammation, micronutrients, stress levels, exercise, and things we can easily change. And a lot of it is things you can change for pretty cheap or free too. Dude, that's so cool. So yeah. And thank you for sharing that with me because yeah, I mean, I, I, I just, you know, read statistics, go online, do some research. And so I always love learning new things. So it's so interesting to hear the fact that you're in this and there's such a movement towards it. So I, you know, on this podcast, what I really love to do is I love getting raw and I love getting transparent and kind of discussing, like you said, the why behind all of it. And so I know that you and I had some discussions about like upbringings before we, you know, actually got on this. So let's get, you know, let's, let's, let's dig in a little bit and talk about why did you get into functional medicine? Did you have health issues? Like, give us the story about how someone like yourself is in this position on this, you know, kind of groundbreaking in, 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 you know, research in relation to this, like what, what motivated you to want to go into this? Yeah. So initially in dietetics, we're taught very traditional in terms of like 60% carb diet, like processed foods are okay. And a lot of it just didn't make sense because even as an undergrad, like I would realize this diet doesn't actually get people results. Like they're not really getting healthier. They're not necessarily losing weight. And then I had my daughter in 2013. And after I had her, I had a lot of health issues. And at the time, like I was in a really stressful relationship with my ex-husband and like things were just not good mentally and emotionally. We talked about a lot of that in the past, but I ended up having like Hashimoto's, which is an autoimmune thyroid condition. And a lot of that derives from stress and gut related issues as well as inflammation. And so I found a podcast in functional medicine online and I was like, well, this makes so much more sense than anything I've learned so far in my undergrad. And so I got my initial certification, which was like a self-paced course in functional medicine. And I was like, okay, I really need to learn more about this because the course like taught me the basics but like, it didn't teach me like the overall physiology, anatomy and labs and all that, that I needed to know. And that's where I got into the master's program that really kind of built the foundation of functional medicine for me. And where did you uh, get your map? Where, what, what, where, what master's program did you go through? It's through the Institute of Functional Medicine at the University of Western States in Oregon. So okay. it's an online program and the school is like essentially like a chiropractic school, more of a holistic med medicine school. But the Institute of Functional Medicine was like in collaboration with them and building out the program. So it was a really good program. The Institute of Functional Medicine is kind of like the godfather of functional medicine. Dude, that's so cool. So on the on the subject of, you know, you said you I, I know that you said you went through some trauma and you went through some stuff and you started having health issues. You know, the, the big thing on this podcast that I, I love talking about is the fact that like our past and the things that we go through really define who we are today. And so do you feel like, you know, growing up and like some instances you, you ran into like affected your, do you feel like the mental health started taking its toll first? Or do you feel like the diet played into the mental health? Like, where do you feel like that gap was bridged just for you personally? So 
I mean, diet is the foundation of your whole life, right? So like my family growing up, like we didn't eat unhealthy. Like my mom made a lot of meals at home, but it was like of the general mindset that we all follow, like canned vegetables, like not as a whole lot of fresh stuff, not a whole lot of like salad or like getting it from the local farmer, you know, like we ate pretty healthy, but we still had like all the processed foods too. So that's kind of a foundation. Growing up, I didn't have like a crazy diet, right? But the big thing that I think affected me the most was when I got into that religious cult that we talked about in terms of like mental health. It was very similar to your upbringing in terms of like very controlling, very legalistic, very like kind of like you're always under a whole lot of stress because you're always like worried about losing your salvation or like sinning or who's going to judge you in certain ways or like God's coming back tomorrow kind of thing. And as a female in this group, like a lot of it revolved around like the traditional roles, which there's nothing wrong with, but it was very much like traditional roles on steroids, meaning like the women didn't have a say in anything. We had to wear like skirts. We couldn't wear makeup. We couldn't really like have a voice or opinion. Like we're just supposed to be subservient to the men. And with my personality type, that didn't really go so well, you know, being very independent and, you know, yeah, that was a big struggle. Yeah, I mean, because I get that. Yeah, I mean, I grew up. We, if if anybody has watched the special on Netflix, I think or on Prime, I think it's called Shiny Happy People or something. It's about the Duggars and Kelsey and I both grew up in like similar things. And it's so hard, like whenever you get adopted into this like very legalistic, very you know this mindset of like restrictiveness, and then also like the stress that's involved of like having to always appear like appear perfect and like never understanding the fact that like you're going to make mistakes. I mean that, that adds so much stress because like to, from, from a human perspective, there's no way you're going to be perfect like ever. And not, not just not, you know, and speaking to what you said, whenever it comes to being a strong independent woman, like in the Bible, like Jesus, like actually like encouraged women to stand up and empowered them. It wasn't, they were supposed to be like this restricted, like stay at home and like be subservient to your husband mindset. And so, yeah, I'm, Hey, I'm really sorry you had to go through that. I know a lot of people that did, and I'm just so proud that you came out of it and that you were able to learn and like build on it. So I know that, you know, we're not going to get too deeply into that, but like, I know that like you came, when did you come out of that situation and, you know, where were you at mentally and physically whenever you re like, what was the moment you realized that like you needed to make a change? Like you needed to start unpacking what was going on or just realizing the fact that your bag had gotten too heavy. I think it was like postpartum for me, like right after the birth of my daughter, like I had already come out of like a lot of the religious stuff in terms of I was no longer associated with a cult. Like we weren't going to any like churches like that or anything, but it was still like, I was in such a haze from like being a new mom that I couldn't really think about a lot of it. And then when it started to affect my daily life in terms of my health, that's when I was like, no, I really need to figure out like why I feel like crap every day. Like why I have no energy while I, why I feel depressed. And so for me, like it really transitioned more from like mental health to like physical health because my physical health was affecting me in such a way. And then I realized through functional medicine, how much the physical health and the mental health really are connected in terms of like, if you have an inflamed gut, a leaky gut, high levels of inflammation, just generally, you're going to have a lot of issues with your brain because of the gut brain connection. 
And so that's when I really changed a lot of my diet. I went gluten and dairy free. I started doing like what's called the GAPS diet, which is like a lot of fermented foods. Um, it's got a lot of animal protein, a lot of animal fats, but it's all kind of based around like a pretty balanced profile in terms of like veggies, healthy proteins, healthy fats, fermented foods. And that's really when I started to notice a slight change in my gut health and like mm. my brain and my mental health. And then that transitioned into more like studying into functional medicine too. So around that time, I, I did you ever run into, cause you know, you were depressed, you had issues going on. Did you go to a traditional doctor and look for help? I actually went to six different doctors. Wow. And, um, each one of them told me like, this is normal for postpartum. This is just kind of how it's going to be. Some of them would suggest like thyroid medications and they would be like, well, your thyroid's low and you have Hashimoto. Well, they didn't tell me on Hashimoto's at first, but they would just be like, well, your thyroid's a little bit low. We can put you on a thyroid medication. Or if you're having postpartum depression, here's some Zoloft or all these different medications. And I've never been a, a pill taker. Like I've never really liked medication. And I had just been introduced to functional medicine. So I was like, okay, I'm going to try and figure this out. And eventually I found a practitioner that was going to run a lot of labs on me. And so they ran all the labs that I asked for. And that's where I found the autoimmune condition with Hashimoto's. So you went to six different doctors that it sounds like they all had similar or different opinions on what to do. One of which was, Hey, we're just going to put you on medication. And, you know, I'm, don't get me wrong. I, you know, you recommended a book to me called the body, you know, keep score. And I started listening to it. Fantastic book in there. He talks about SSRIs, which is basically like what Prozac is, Zoloft, like all these things. And it, it, it helps produce ser serotonin. And the thing is though, that I think is fascinating is so many doctors will recommend, Hey, like, let's just put you on this because this will fix your problem. This will make you happy. <laughs> Same thing happened in the Oxycontin epidemic. I don't know if you watched a documentary on it where it was like, Hey, look at this picture. Are you this sad or are you like, or the pain, the pain graph, right? Like where, where are you at on that pain graph? And then, well, we're just going to give you this medication. And what they don't realize is that it's supposed to be, this is a bridge to help you get over it while you learn new healthy habits to actually release serotonin naturally. And so, you know, I think the same thing whenever it comes to SSRIs, they were developed to help bridge the gap so that you could then develop healthy activities, whether it be exercise, whether it be diet and all these things that truly affect your mental health. So was that really frustrating for you to just hear that from doctors? Well, basically, we're just going to give you a pill. We don't really have an answer on how long you're going to have to take on this pill. And do you see that a lot in your practice? I see that every day in my practice. And I think that's what led me to doing what I'm doing now is because I've experienced that frustration personally, because with SSRIs, like a lot of the times the doctors will put you on it and you're on it long term. There's plenty of doctors that will kind of approach it the right way where they'll say, well, look, we'll have you on this medication on a low dose for a short period of time. We'll work on all these other things and kind of wean you off. But the majority of doctors are going to come in and say, no, here's this prescription. You're going to be on it indefinitely. And the thing with mental health is like, there's not labs to test your serotonin. There's not any mental health tests. Any diagnosis that you get from a psychologist or a psychiatrist is based on the DSM, which is a book. And it's like a list of symptoms. There's hmm. no test where you can go like, oh, well, this is my neurotransmitter levels, or here's my serotonin, or here's my dopamine, and here's why it's not working. 
there's no test for that because they all have such a short half-life in the blood, meaning like your serotonin, we can't really test that yet. And I don't know if we'll ever be able to because it's produced and then excreted, you know? So it's one of those things where it's, it's very frustrating and it's, it's a lot of what, especially women, I know men probably experience it too. Men just don't talk about it as much. Um, but women postpartum, especially it's a big thing. Yeah. And I think it's hard for, you know, I, I look at uh, a lot of relationships as well, go through these rocky times during that time, because the man's trying to understand the woman's trying to understand while trying to raise a kid. And it's like, how do we figure this out? So like you get a lot of friction, a lot of frustrating. I think you're right. A lot of men just don't talk about their problems in that book. It goes into the subject of like PTSD and like why men are reacting a certain way. And the fact that they don't have outlets whenever it comes to it, there was like the, the two cards they showed them, it was like in the first part of the book, like the emotion cards that they show soldiers that came back from war. And whenever they show them an emotion card, they would do one of two things. Either they would completely shut down or they would like literally like relive that thing over and over and over again. Do you ever deal with people that have gone through like PTSD or like traumatic events? And like, do you ever deal with those things as well? Yeah, I was diagnosed with PTSD myself after the cult and that relationship. And I do have a lot of veterans and like, three-letter agencies and like people in that regard in terms of PTSD. So I deal with that a lot. Um, and I have a lot of close friends with PTSD just from like meeting different people and especially the veterans that I really care about. And PTSD is very complex to deal with because it's very different per person. And there isn't really a whole lot of practitioners that are focused on like actually healing the condition. A lot of the times, especially at the VA, they're just given drugs, you know, they're given antidepressants, they're given painkillers, they're given anti-anxiety medications, and the root cause of PTSD is a combination of emotional and physical things, because you have that cortisol, your stress hormone, right, and that dysregulates your entire nervous system, so a lot of PTSD is nervous system dysregulation, which then leads to endocrine, which is like your hormones, your blood sugar, your thyroid, your metabolism, your insulin, then you also have the gut component where your gut health gets compromised from PTSD and all of those things kind of play into each other where if you have high blood sugar, then you're going to store more body fat, which is going to make you more inflamed. And that's also going to feed the bad bacteria in your gut, which is going to affect your serotonin and dopamine. And so it's all kind of like playing together in terms of PTSD. Some of my most favorite things that are going on in terms of PTSD and research is like psilocybin and... Okay microdosing of psilocybin with PTSD. And then there's a lot of good research with ketamine and ketamine administered at a doctor's office, obviously, that can help with PTSD and kind of getting past some of those ruminating thoughts. <laughs> yeah, I've seen some research on psilocybin. I mean, me personally growing up in my 20s, experimented off the books with that. But I will say like, you know, I mean, I, I you know, I'm not one to... Uh, I'm not, I think that anything should be looked at and anything should be analyzed in relation to like something natural that can be brought in as a medication. I mean, back in the, I think it was bad. I watched the documentary on, it was on Netflix. It was about hallucinogens and medicine and how they were having a lot of breakthroughs. I think it was in the sixties and like yeah. late sixties where, especially with schizophrenia and bipolar disorder to where they were administering L LSD and that was originally what it was made for and then it basically got out of the box and got in public and became a party drug and became a problem and mm -hmm. so I mean have you seen that documentary I'm talking about yeah yeah LSD is 
one thing that they really studied a lot and they were going to use it. I think any of those medications, it comes down to, or like the natural therapies like psilocybin, it's the dose that really makes the difference because mm. with mental health and PTSD, they're using micro doses. So these people aren't getting high when they're taking psilocybin for PTSD or with ketamine and you're getting in a doctor's office, you're not experiencing the high that you would have if you took mushrooms or if you took ketamine on your own. It's more so like it's getting your brain to like tone down the emotions, tone down the excitability, have more creativity, connect more of those neurons. So you can see studies on people that are on like microdoses of psilocybin and look at all their different interconnections of their brain. And it's like your right brain and your left brain can actually communicate with each other better. And you can bypass what's called like the reptilian brain, which is kind of like your ancient brain. And that's the fight or flight system, right? So like your, your stress system. And that's what allows these people to overcome their, their traumas because they're able to connect all these different areas of their brain, get past the trauma, the fight or flight response, and like kind of like unpack, as you would say with your podcast, their trauma in a way that is not threatening to them. Yeah, dude, and I, I, I thank you so much for explaining that because I, I will self-admittedly say, you know, the the whole taboo thing whenever it comes to like hallucinogens and everything, like I've heard it, I haven't done my equal research, but what you're saying, I understand whenever it comes to like, these are very, 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 very minuscule doses. It's not like people are doing this to get high. It's, I mean, and I think that, you know, it's taboo, especially whenever you look at like religious, religious sex, right? You look at like Christianity or I don't know, you just across the world, all these different religions, and they look at like, well, I mean, you can't go take mushrooms because if you go take mushrooms, you're getting high. But like they're perfectly fine with someone going and taking an SSRI. And it's like, no, like, dude, it's it's medicine if utilized correctly. I mean, God created all these things for us to use. And that's that's why we're here to like explore those things. And so, yeah, I mean, because you have to be able, like, you know, in some some people, you know, you're so broken, you have so many burdens. Your backpack is so heavy, you can't, you don't even understand how to move forward. Like the weight is so like just bearing down on you like mentally and then it affects you physically. And like you have to be in a position to where you can start communicating and you have to be able to unpack that stuff. And so yeah, I am all for like experimenting and looking for ways to actually heal the body long term because for such a long time, you know, this, this pharmaceutical epidemic across the United States has really just taken us by storm and it's everywhere around you. I mean, my mom, you know, she's got uh, bone marrow cancer right now and she was so terrified for six years to go to the doctor because she had a lump because she was, she just kept on saying, well, every single time I have a friend that goes to the doctor, they just basically say, well, here's a medication and go take it. Like, and so my mom and a lot of older people are so terrified to go to the doctor because they're afraid they're just going to get put on a medication that they can't afford. The medication that she's taking right now, if she did not have like a nonprofit helping her out, would cost her $8,000 a month just to keep her alive. And now I will say the doctors at OU that she's dealing with, they are a little bit more functionally like, like, you know, aimed whenever it comes to their approaches. But I think there's this big conception where people are even just scared to go to the doctor because they're just afraid they're going to be put on a medication for life that's just going to slowly kill them. And they're just going to become a number that goes in the Rolodex. And so what you're doing whenever it comes to functional medicine, to me, you are looking for cures. You're looking for ways to heal these people. My psychologist told me this one time, and I love it. I absolutely love it. 
I don't know if you've ever uh, listened to The Tools. It's by uh, Jonah Hill. It's uh, by Phil Stutz. He's got the same concept. My therapist told me, I don't need you to come and be a lifelong client of mine. If you're coming here every week to be a lifelong client, I'm not doing my job. If I'm not asking you hard questions, I'm not doing my job. If I'm not looking for ways to provoke your thought process, I'm not doing my job. I want to see you come in here regularly. And then if after a couple months, you're not coming in less regularly or depending on the severity, I'm not doing my job. I want, I want you to come in. I want us to find a way to unpack all that baggage. And then I want to find a way for you to be able to heal. And I think in medicine, whenever it comes to the physical, I mean, like you said, the physical and mental are so well tied together. Like doctors aren't looking for ways to heal people because I'm just going to say it. It's not profitable. Yeah. And I will say a lot of that isn't really the doctor's fault because insurance is really a big problem because insurance is what determines how the doctors are able to practice medicine. It's fair. I think that's like a really unfair advantage for the doctors because the doctors are only basically being told, well, we'll pay you for this, but we're not paying you for that. And that's doctors fair. get paid for treating functional medicine like what I do because insurance won't pay for it. So that's a big hang up there in terms of like insurance is kind of ruining the practice of medicine, in my opinion, because there's there are doctors that are just pill pushers and they're not good. And they don't really care about helping people. And maybe they're a little sociopathic. But there's also a lot of doctors really love their patients and really want to help. Like my dad is like this. He really wants to help people. He wants to look at their body and say, well, how can we make you feel your best? How can we help you lose weight? How can I give you more energy and more time with your kids? There are doctors like that, but then they're constrained by insurance. And then if you look at the medical education, like in terms of like going to medical school, Big Pharma has bought out all of that to where like the way that I approach functional medicine is not even really taught to doctors. And it's all about like, well, if there's this disease and here's the symptoms and here's the medication or here's the surgery and that's all they're taught. And so it's really a combination of like insurance and Big Pharma that have come in and taken over the medical community. Yeah, I and I completely agree with you. I mean, that's I, I know some doctors. I actually have a really good friend that he is actually the head nutritionist is a bit at a big hospital here in Oklahoma. I think there are a lot of doctors out there that do truly care about their patients. And I agree with you. I think that whenever it comes to insurance and whenever it comes to big pharmaceutical companies that actually like, you know, have the dollars to basically go and hire politicians to, you know, push things through. I completely agree with you, but I, do you, do you believe there's a little bit of a transitioning that's starting to happen because we're on this, I mean, what are our obesity rates coming down right now or are they still going up? Oh, they're still massively going up. Okay, that's um, what I thought. Yeah, and I think there are doctors that are starting to like move towards the cash pay cash pay practice. Mm -hmm. Like we have with profit. Like my doc my dad is our doctor and he does cash pay for like hormone replacement and like different metabolic conditions and stuff like that because a lot of these things are not covered by insurance at all. Like hormones, especially like 
testosterone replacement for men and then like menopausal treatment for women when they lose their cycle. A lot of that, like the OBGYNs, the doctors will just say, well, like, we don't really even know how to interpret those labs. We don't know how to apply them or they'll just put them on hormones and never talk to them about it again or never run the labs again because it's not covered by insurance. And that time the doctor spends to look at those labs and, and look at what dosages their hormone should be at is not covered by insurance either. So I think there are a lot of doctors that are moving towards that cash pay model. It's just a lot of people don't have money for that. You really have to be financially set up to be, I mean, probably making over six figures at least to be able to afford a cash pay model. Yeah, I can. I dude, I completely get it. I mean, I've I've got a daughter. I look at. I mean, I do. I have set myself up, and I'm fortunate enough to where I'm in a position to where I can afford to do those things and do like an HSA instead of you know just go and get like a high you know insurance. Like I I am in a blessed place, but a lot of people don't even know about those options. You touched on something that I do want to talk a little bit about because it is kind of a hot topic, and I heard you post a video about it, which I I think that's how we first connected. Well, there's there's two things. One, birth control. You brought up. I know that you are unpack a little bit like what your opinion is on birth control and the 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 physical plus mental part of that that is affecting people in the united states right now so with birth control pills like obviously i understand in certain demographics or certain situations like not having a pregnancy might be the priority right Right. But we also have to look at like well first of all there's only a certain amount of days of the month you can actually get pregnant so why aren't we just educating people on like what their cycle actually is and when they can get pregnant and how to know when that is instead of just putting them on a medication? There is a compliance factor there too. Like maybe they won't listen, maybe they won't track it. But in terms of like symptoms with birth control, like it even changes who you're attracted to, which is crazy to me. Like yeah, dude, my, yeah, okay, keep on going. I'm sorry, keep on going. This yeah, is good. Crazy. So biologically, like women are supposed to be attracted to men that are genetically compatible with them, both from their immune system, uh, preventing disease, and like just overall genetically going to have a healthy baby. It's released through pheromones, which are like hormones. And when women are on birth control, they're going to choose men that are not genetically a good match for them. And a lot of the times when they come off birth control, they're no longer attracted to their partner anymore. So there's that. In terms of like health conditions, like birth control depletes a lot of your major micronutrients, so vitamins and minerals, like B vitamins, vitamin D, magnesium, all the ones that are super important for overall health, but also the ones that are important for developing a healthy baby. So these women that have been on birth control for years are super deficient in, in vitamins. They're going to choose a partner that's probably not ideal for them. And then they're going to go into a pregnancy deficient in all the vitamins they need to have a healthy baby. And so there's that perspective. Birth control also affects your gut health and your gut health is like the foundation of all of your other health in terms of how you digest your food, how you absorb your food, your mental health, inflammation, leaky gut. All of those things can be tied to birth control as well. Dude, that's, that is mind blowing. Me and my buddy, which I have to ask you, he, he asked me to ask you a question because he's about to run a hundred mile marathon. I'll ask you that here in a second, but dude, that that's mind blowing. Cause like I, Think about how confusing that is for a woman. I mean, yes. for, for the man, yeah, sure. But like for the woman, like you don't understand why you feel this way. And then you're going to a doctor. And what are the doctors saying whenever they go to the doctor and say, hey, I don't know why they feel this way. What are you seeing prescribed to them? 
they'll just change the birth control or they'll change the dosage or then they'll stack the birth control with an antidepressant. Boom. There you go. That, that was what I was looking for because I have seen that so many times and I've heard that so many times is basically, okay, we're going to do this. And then they get, and then I've heard this stack as well. Then they start feeling sluggish and then they stack them with an amphetamine or Adderall, right? Yep. Yep. And another thing too, is like that birth control pill that so many women are taking is getting excreted when they go to the bathroom, right? It's going into the water supply and the water supply that we drink, it doesn't get filtrated out. So like if people are drinking tap water, they're getting birth control pill dosages and that's been tested. Like that's like across the board, like kind of a known thing that when they clean the water and they filter it out, they're not able to get like some of those micro like drug, I guess, leftovers that can be in the water too. Dude, that's, that's nuts. And so on the flip side of this, so we have that whole thing going on with women, you know, which they're trying to be responsible. I I truly believe they're trying to be responsible. They're trying to do the right thing. They're trying, you know, with the information they've been given on the flip side of that. So, because we've got this big divide right now between men and women on the flip side of that, what is happening to the men as well? Because testosterone levels are super low. Like you, so tell me a little bit about how similar things are affecting the men as well. So men today have like testosterone levels of a 60 year old in the two thousands, like 20 year old, like when their testosterone should be the highest are having levels of a 60 year old in 2000, which is insane. And a lot of it is due to like diet. There's hormones in the food, there's hormones in the water. There's more inflammatory foods in our diet. We're eating less healthy, like food we grew in our garden and stuff like that. So there's the food component. There's the exercise component where nobody gets outside anymore. Nobody really exercises anymore. They're not getting direct sunlight. That's another component. And then there's all these chemicals. They're called like toxins essentially that are like in the plastics and the water bottles we drink out of. There's chemicals like atrazine, which is a byproduct of like the farming industry. Atrazine actually turned male fish into female fish that could reproduce on their own. Oh my God. And that's in water. I mean, that's in our water supply, like go in a Creek down the street from a farm and it'll be in the water. So atrazine is a really big problem. And then there's just so different things that like, even like the toxins in the water and stuff are contributing to like higher estrogen levels and lower testosterone levels too. So that's another thing where there's just so many attacks coming from so many different ways that to me, it almost seems intentional. Okay. So I wouldn't mind going down the conspiracy theory like thing, but let's keep on topic because if we go there, this is going to end up lasting like two hours. So, because people can go do their own research. If you want to look up all these things that Kelsey and I are talking about, I've done some research outside of it. Kelsey, I'm sure could go on about this stuff for forever. But if you like this stuff, you're truly interested, go start looking up these words we're talking about. So this is what I'm going to ask. We've gone through a lot of information what is the solution, Kelsey? Like people have to be able to fight back. Like, you know, me personally, from a mental health perspective, I think really talking about these problems is a really big deal. Like openly, like discussing these things, like, uh, but like from a, from a health perspective, you know, outside of like, you know, really making sure that you're surrounded with friends that are going to support you mentally. And they're going to, they're, you know, they're going to support your like mental health, physical health. They're going to spur you on from a, from a nutritional perspective aspect like what can we do to combat these things i mean because not everybody has the money 
to go and find Whole Foods everywhere? I mean, like, like, what do you do to start combating this stuff from like an economical perspective? So I think the first thing is like taking ownership of the fact that your health is your responsibility. Because ownership, but ownership, like, but do yep. we have to take ownership? Like, do we have to? No, I'm just kidding. Keep on going. Yeah. But I think that's the big thing that people don't want to do is they want somebody else to tell them how to do it. They want somebody else to do it for them. They want their doctor to tell them what to do. And ultimately, like a lot of the information that people need is free on the internet. They just have to look for it. And in terms of like eating healthy, like you want to maybe find a local farmer that you can go directly to. They don't have to be an organic farmer if it's a cost kind of benefit situation. Go to a local farmer or grow your own food in a garden in your backyard. Find someone that you can get like half a cow from and save that up in your in your deep freezer because you're going to get it at a huge discount. Or as much as you can, like opt for hormone-free, natural. Look up things like the Dirty Dozen and the Clean 15, which is like the Dirty Dozen are like the fruits and vegetables that are used with the most herbicides and pesticides. And the Clean 15 have the least. So maybe eat more out of the Clean 15 and really go organic on the Dirty Dozen. Or pick and choose like meat products are really where you want to be careful because you do want to try and get at least hormone-free and antibiotic-free if you can, and then organic grass-fed is ideal. So kind of learning about those different topics and then taking ownership in terms of making those decisions and maybe cutting out Starbucks or cutting out eating out or cutting down on going to the hair salon or the nail salon in exchange for getting healthier food. People don't like ownership. Speaking of which, uh, real quick, I want to... Hey, thank you for all of that. Cause I, I agree with you. I mean, dude, I am, I myself in my life through some really hard situations that I self-admittedly put myself through have learned, you know, this, this concept of like unconditional ownership or like radical ownership. Like we in our country love to escape and we love to find loopholes of why it's not our fault. And I know that you went on Dr. Phil and one of the big things you talked about was the, 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 the weight epidemic that we have in this country. And the fact that, you know, don't get me wrong. Like I'm going to tick some people off and it's fine. But like, I look at like Lizzo for instance, right? Like, you know, if, if, if you want to be overweight and you want to like own that and you want to do it, it's fine. But like glorifying unhealthy habits and saying it's fine like you're fine like it's not your fault i was made this way like i'm sorry that's bs like that is not true i mean so on dr phil you discussed this a little bit didn't you yeah the whole topic was the body pos- body positivity movement so yeah. unpack just give me like a two minute like like snippet like did you get a lot of like I mean, I know people can go watch the episode, but like, did you get a lot of like, like, were people like arguing with you on the topic? Like, were people pushing back on you? Like, how did that go? Yeah, so I went in kind of just knowing that my role was to talk about the negative side of the body positivity movement from a science and health perspective. And the opposing party was another female who was pro body positive and pretty overweight. She was really nice, but her... Her thought process is kind of like what you mentioned with Lizzo, like, this is how I am. This is how my body is. I'm ultimate, ultimate, like radical acceptance of myself. But the truth is like obesity is a disease. 
And it wasn't around in the 60s and 70s. If you look back and you look at the pictures of people on the beach or on the street in New York, we didn't have obese people. We didn't have, like there was maybe the occasional one, but we didn't have what we have now. And so with that logic, we can apply it and say, well, what's changed from the 60s and 70s to now? And it's diet, exercise, and lifestyle is the foundation of it. And ultimately, like, body fat is inflammatory. And if people don't like that, I don't really know what to tell them because that's just true. Um, because body fat creates inflammatory compounds. It puts stress on your heart. It puts stress on your organs, like your gallbladder. It's going to create disease later on because inflammation is the root cause of disease. So you can look at the statistics. Anyone can look them up online in terms of your risk factors if you're obese for every condition, including cancer, heart disease, diabetes, Alzheimer's and dementia, all of those things you're at higher risk for being overweight. So it's kind of hard to argue otherwise. Dude, it is. And, you know, playing back into what you're saying, whenever it comes to insurance costs and everything, if us as a country would actually concentrate on becoming more healthy, our health insurance costs at a whole would go down because mm -hmm. we wouldn't have to go to the doctor as much. And so, I mean, dude, like, this is one of those things where our whole country at some point is going to have to take ownership over this because if we don't, we're just going to continue spiraling out of control and then looking at everybody else to blame. I mean, we, cause you're right. We, there's nobody else to blame but yourself. And I, and I will tell anybody this, like if you're struggling with this and you're watching this podcast and like, you're like, I'm someone that's overweight and I've always struggled with this. And I've all like, I want to let you know, we're not, we, I, I think me and Kelsey both would agree. Like, we love you as a person. Like, this is not about you. This is like, we are not talking badly about you. We actually care about you. We want to see you healthy. We want you to live a fulfilled life. And full trans, I mean, if like you are living a fully happy life and whatever, and you're not having health issues and all of this, I mean, I get it. But like, statistically speaking, like if you keep that weight on for a long time and you continue these habits, you're going to. Yeah. And I, I know that's got to affect you. I mean, like it really, really does. But like, I just want to let you guys know, like we care about you. And that, that I think is what Kelsey is talking about is the fact that like, she cares so much about you as a person, like who you are, your potential. She doesn't, I don't think anybody expects you to go out and become like an Olympic athlete or anything, right. but just like, you know, because there is the flip side of that where, you know, you've got a very small minority of people who basically get obsessed with the idea of being of shit. Can you talk about that real quick? Oh yeah. I would categorize that as like body dysmorphia mm -hmm. um, or there's orthorexia too, which is something I had. Yeah. Orthorexia is something I had in college and it was, it was all revolving around my dietetics education where I learned about calories and I would wear like a heart rate monitor and I would track all my food and I would see, okay, I ate 1400 calories today. I'm going to go to the gym and burn 1400 calories. So it's kind of like an obsession with like not overeating and exercise. That's kind of like what orthorexia is. And then body dysmorphia, it could be where like bodybuilders always think they're not big enough. Or like you're look, you're focusing on a certain goal and it's never enough. You're never satisfied. That's kind of another eating disorder too. So it can really go in, in multiple realms in terms of you can be not doing enough and you could really be overdoing it too. And it's all about your relationship to your self-worth and where that falls in relation to health and wellness. Because there's a lot of people that promote like crazy um, 
expectations in terms of exercise and what fitness actually is. And it's really not that complicated. You know, if you can get eight to 10,000 steps a day and maybe lift weights three or four times a week, that's a pretty good foundation for you to start with. And most people can achieve that without going overboard. Absolutely. And there's so many gyms out there. I mean, there really are. There's affordable gym options anywhere down the street. I mean, and a lot of times if you have health insurance, health insurance will actually help pay for it. So if you're anybody, but yeah, I mean, dude. And so I just wanted to touch on that. And speaking of which, so my buddy, my buddy, he asked me to ask you. So he is actually, he's probably the most structured individual I know. His name's John David. He's a part of my men's group that meets on uh, Tuesday night. And he is actually getting ready to run an ultra marathon in Utah. So he's going to go run a hundred mile marathon. I think like he's got 33 miles to run next week. He just wanted me to ask you like, what are some things that he should be doing to his body? He said, like he said, she's probably going to say eat everything, but like realistically, like what, if you're preparing for something like that, what are some suggestions that you would give to somebody? So I would definitely suggest like prioritizing recovery. So when he's training, like, a lot of the muscle and tissue rebuilding is done when he's sleeping. So I'd want him to sleep really well and track his sleep with like a whoop or an aura ring, doing things like red light therapy, sauna, cold exposure, whether you're doing like the cryo version or like the cold plunge, you just don't want to do the cold therapy too close to the exercise. So like you don't want to go run 10 miles and then go jump in the cold plunge because you actually want that inflammation like initially after exercise to help with recovery. I would definitely do like carb loading up and up in front, like maybe like two to three days before the event, because that glycogen is where you store carbs in your muscles and your tissues. And that's what he's going to need during his run. He's probably going to want to pack some kind of carbohydrate in those like glucose. If you've seen those little like packets that you can like, yeah, yeah he's probably going to want some of those little glucose packets. Um, definitely electrolytes and minerals too. So like up until then he can be putting like Celtic salt or mineral salt in his water and just put like a little pinch. Like I have a giant water bottle and you can just put a little pinch in the water. That helps. Hydroflask. Hydroflask. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Dude, that's awesome. Thank you. He's going to love this. I mean, dude, he's super, he's like one of the most disciplined people, the sleep part he's going to have. But so on our Tuesday night men sleep, men's group, we actually are going through a uh, book and part of that book, actually, like there's, there's weekly exercises, you know, that, that we talk about, like that it's, it is biblically based, but it talks about like the different exercises. And one of them that, you know, like God talked a lot about through the Bible was like sleep and like making sure you get proper rest. And like so many times, like we don't understand what that looks like. Like we don't understand, like, especially if you're an overachiever or high achiever, like you don't understand what rest looks like. And that was one of the chapters was like the challenge was to rest fully. And I know that he really struggled with that. So I think that what you said is going to poke him in the rib in the right place. Yeah. Because like, if you, if you talk to him about it, testosterone and growth hormone are all released during sleep. And if you're not getting like, you know, seven to eight hours of sleep and you're getting into that REM sleep, that's when your brain cleans itself. That's when your hormones regulate. And so he's going to have a really a disadvantage if he's not getting his sleep because of the growth hormone testosterone component and how much of that recovery is done during his sleep. He might have like genetic predispositions that make him a little bit more like regimented and high strung and maybe even harder for him to go to sleep. 
there's a couple of those genetics that we can like identify with a test and then also teach him how to eat, how to train, how to supplement according to those genetic predispositions too. Well, then I'm going to have to, after he watches this, he's probably going to reach out to you. Actually, I'm going to strongly encourage him to. Um, so in closing, because we have gone, dude, this has been really, really good. I mean, and I think that we could probably just keep on going because I'm so interested in the mental health and physical health, and we'll have to do this again at some point. But I've got two questions that I ask everybody on the podcast at the very, very end, you know, and then, you know, we'll do our summarization. Um, number one. What is the most influential book that you have ever read and why? Oh, that's hard because it's like, do I pick a health one or do I pick a psychology? So I don't, that's why I don't tell people before I ask the question on the podcast because it puts them on the spot. Yeah. There's a tie between two and I'm trying to. Well, okay. Give both of them. If, the, if one's mental health and one's physical, give them both and we'll just count it. Okay, so one of them would be The Laws of Human Nature by Robert Greene because it's good. Yeah, especially coming out of a cult like I had such a skewed mind of like what human beings are actually like and what the human nature is actually like and it was hard for me to like relate to people and understand the reality of the world because I always just assume that everyone's going to be nice and good and kind like I am and that's just not reality. So that one was a big one for me and then Neuro-linguistic programming. I'm not sure of the author off the top of my head right now, but it talks a lot about like how the way that you think and the way that you speak programs your mind to be a certain way. And that book, Neuro-linguistic programming, really helped me like come out of the cult and like empower myself to not only like heal from my trauma, but also like reframe my reality of the world and like how I perceived the world, how I perceived like success and how I could get to my goals. And so that one was a really big one too, neuro-linguistic programming. Dude, awesome. Thank you for giving us, I mean, we'll just call it a half and a half yeah. whenever it comes to them. All right, second question. Who is the one person in your life that has affected you the most and why? Ooh. Does it have to be someone I actually know or someone that? No. Okay. I would say it's probably Dr. Joe Dispenza. He is an MD that works now in like the psychology kind of health world. And he's the one that introduced me to neuro-linguistic programming, as well as like, I listened to a lot of his meditations and his speaking engagements. And that's really what helped me heal my brain was a lot of his science and research. So definitely Dr. Joe Dispenza. Awesome. Well, in closing, the last thing I'm going to ask of you is if there was anything just, just from the heart that you are going to tell someone that is struggling with physical and mental health, like just take 60 seconds and just look at the camera and just speak to someone that has watched this and it's like, okay, like I'm going through so much right now. Like, where do I start, Kelsey? Like, if you were just going to say something from the heart, what would it be? I think I would start with the fact that there's always an answer. I think that's where most people kind of get the most stuck is they think, well, I'm just going to be this way forever, or my body's just messed up, or my brain's just messed up, or I have too much trauma. And I think if you come out of it thinking like, no, there's an answer, I just don't have that answer yet, 
it empowers you to try and find out, okay, well, what is the root cause of why these things are happening and how can I fix it? It kind of gives them that way out. And then the next thing is, is like to just start doing research. Like I post a ton of free content on my social media and there's enough there where somebody could start with like the small habits. There's a process called habit stacking where you pick like one small habit and you change that first before you try to overhaul your entire life. Where a lot of people go wrong is they say, well, like, oh, well, I got to eat organic. I got to filter my water. I got to start exercising. I got to sleep more. I got to manage my stress. I got to figure out what supplements I need to take. And they get so overwhelmed, they don't do anything. And if you just pick one thing first and say, well, I'm going to try and start tracking my food and see how much I'm eating and what I'm eating. And then you do that consistently over time, then you can stack your next goal on top of that. Well, now I'm going to look at how much water I'm drinking each day and then work through your water and just do one little task at a time. And it won't be quite as overwhelming. I think those are absolutely excellent points because there's a book that was done by this Navy SEAL. It's called like the, what is it? It's like the first thing, it's something about make a bed. It's like the first thing you do whenever you wake up is make your bed. And like, I've always, anytime I get in a funk in life, anytime, like I get distracted, anytime I feel like things are overwhelming, I always tell myself, go back to making your bed every single morning. So I'm waking up and I'm just starting one good habit. And if I go back into that mindset and I just start with that, like at the beginning of my day, like it's crazy how all of a sudden other things like start falling in place. And so I completely agree with you on the habit stacking part of it. I mean, just that's a great point. Yeah, this, this key is really to not get overwhelmed, you know? Just start with babies there. Have you ever seen What About Bob? Mm-mm. Oh, my God, dude. All right, so I'm going to challenge you. You need to watch What About Bob. It's got Bill Murray in it, and he is like – he's got every mental disorder that you can think of. And in in the movie, he goes and sees a doctor who wrote a book called Baby Steps. And so, like, the whole movie, like – Bill, anyway, just go watch it and then get back with me. And if you're watching this, go watch it. And then you're going to understand why exactly I told you to watch it. But anyway, uh, baby steps. It's like a great 1990s, like, dude, it's epic. It's absolutely incredible. So anyway, well, Kelsey, do you have anything else you want to share with anybody? I think we covered it. Dude, that was so good. So thank you so much for coming on. It has been an absolute pleasure. You know, I just, I'm so inspired whenever I get to meet all these people who have gone through these hardships, these overbearing situations, these backpacks that are just on their back. And then it is a choice. Like you can break free from whatever is holding you down. It is an absolute choice. It just starts with small decisions and you can unlock this life full of just reward. And like, you can absolutely do it. And I think you are a, True testament to that. And I believe in what you're doing. And thank you so much for coming on the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. And I really enjoyed the conversation. Dude, absolutely. Well, till next time on the Backpack Theory Podcast, I'm Adam Corey. Thank you for joining us.